0: Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 69, the one about Super Bowl TV ads, work culture, your Google CV, and the film Uncharted. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio Video Podcast. Please welcome, Monsieur Pascal Fintoni.
1: Well, thank you so much for the introduction. It is a pleasure, of course, to spend time with a man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the rock 12 video series I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards
0: no oh, Pascal we are here for episode 69 Just one away from, (laughs) I was going to say, the magic 70. I don't think there is actually a magic 70, but 70 still seems like a bit of a milestone. And Pascal, we have got a lot to talk about today. The usual mix of news and tech and shout outs. But we're going to talk about a film today, later in the film marketing section, it's called Uncharted. I know nothing about this film and apparently it's based upon a game which you play a lot, and I don't even—I've never even heard of the game either. So I'm in for a bit of a treat today. I
1: think you are. This is probably one of the best-loved video games franchise for the PlayStation players. I have played all four video games over the last ten years. Particularly number three and four, played almost once a year just for a bit of fun. And I—I'm nervous, you know. But we'll see what the marketing campaign is like and see whether or not it is indeed worth uh, our money as well as our time.
0: Good. Looking forward to it. So. Without further ado, let's start with In The News.
1: And we begin with this news. More than half of marketers are considering moving jobs this year. Higher wages, learning new skills and the prospects of fresh challenges are key motivations according to Marketing Week's 2022 career and salary survey.
0: Hines has taken out a full-page print ad in The Guardian apologising to the British public and hounds finder Henry Hines for taking 150 years to develop a range of pasta sauces because nothing so ridiculously good has come so
1: ridiculously late, is the strapline. Okay, well LinkedIn will continue with its promise to make work, work for women this year with two strategic partnerships. The first one is with a national sponsorship deal with the UEFA Women's Euro 2022 Football Tournament. New
0: Peloton CEO Barry McCarthy believes the brand could revitalize sales by switching to a new subscription model with App Store potential.
1: NatWest is pledging to cut ties with companies that like credible decarbonization plans and the bank promises to stop doing business with coal companies and some oil and gas majors.
0: Airbnb has reported its strongest ever fourth quarter results, driven by higher revenue and increased marketing efficiency. CEO Brian Chesky said Airbnb now looks at the role of marketing as one of education, not to buy customers.
1: Absolutely. Where Burger King wants to create more impactful advertising with greater attention to its multi-billion dollar Whopper brand, the fast food chain will cut low volume products from this menu and pledges to refocus on its core offer.
0: And finally, the cost of living concerns driven by rising fuel and energy prices have led to a 7% drop in optimism for family prospects to 40%, according to Marks & Spencer's Family Matters data. By contrast, during the national lockdown in March 2021, optimism stood at 51%. So people are obviously feeling a little less optimistic, but I want to talk about Heinz. Are you a Heinz baked bean and Heinz tomato soup fan, Pascal?
1: I have become a Heinz baked beans fan. I mean, I must confess, when I arrived in the UK in 91, I had no clue what it was. Uh, And in fact, if you know the the tin well, the design, there's nothing because I I needed to actually have an image of sort didn't know what I was buying, but I could see people buying it. And when I was sharing a flat with my fellow students, the baked beans on toast seemed to be in the the kind of the, the regular fare. And so I had to go. I even went for the special one, Roger, with the little sausages in it. Oh, and yes. uh, I'm, I'm fully converted. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, this is interesting that they are now going to launch some pasta sauces. Now, on the one hand, I assumed that somewhere in the Heinz 57 varieties, there were already pasta sauces I was attracted by this news item because I love the strap line because nothing so ridiculously good has come so ridiculously late and the advert effectively the the um, founder of Heinz saying I'm sorry it's taken 150 years to develop pasta sauces just feels like a really clever idea to me having said that I'm not a massive fan of the Heinz tomato taste the tomato soup just looks like red soup to me it's got a taste of its own. I don't particularly think it tastes like tomatoes. So I'm not that optimistic, despite the amazing campaign. I'm not that optimistic for the actual taste of the pasta sauces themselves. But I shall give them a
1: try. And I agree with you. I think it's, it's very clever. The, the, you know, there's nothing like wit You know, when you do an advertising campaign. Uh, and I think also what, what is interesting is that you and I have been, obviously, in the receiving end of emails where people pretend – to be apologizing to fight hook you in it's almost like a, its own version of a clickbait you know how many times have mm. you had an email people saying oops i made a mistake and then you kind of go mm. well what is this well you do the first few and then eventually i just delete them now
0: yeah absolutely so the jury's out but uh-huh. we'll get back to you in a later episode once we've tried these heinz pasta sources. now i was a little bit alarmed pascal by this statistic from Marketing Week's career and salary survey that suggests that more than half of marketers are considering moving jobs. Now, looking down the article a little bit further, they were talking about the things you would normally expect. People want higher salaries, people aren't satisfied with their current role, people want to learn new skills. But I wondered whether this is a consequence as well, Pascal, about what we've always talked about on this show, that marketing isn't just about the tactics of SEO and email and content. It's actually quite a strategic thing as well. And I just wonder whether the marketers that are consider leaving their jobs are actually the ones who have become tactified, if that's the right word, um, or are focused on those tactical elements. And actually, the new skills that they want to learn could still be within the roles that they have if they were allowed to spread into the more strategic elements of the marketing role as well.
1: I think this announcement works also, I think, as a barometer for across all sectors, all functions and all industries. You can't deny that the last two years has really helped people take stock and, and consider what they want to do with their time, with their lives, with their career. But just building on what you've just said, uh, I, I hear from my mentees, I hear from from you know my customers that despite their efforts to be more strategic, you know the, the powers that be always look for the tactics. Um, yeah. the, the the other thing that I think is so unique of the marketing function is the amount of people across the organization that seems to have an opinion and want to critique your work. I mean, you would never be subjected to that level of scrutiny, or sometimes, frankly, uninvited opinions if you work in HR, if you work in health and safety, if you work in operations, financial management. Do you know what I mean? Like all, All the other business functions, people just let you get on with it, and then they may have a suggestion. But This one, the moment you present anything to do with a plan or the execution, you have an army of people that will tell you what's good, by the ugly about it. You know, that
0: is so true. And I remember that from my <laughs> big corporate days myself. You know, I wouldn't have dreamed of challenging the finance director or the customer service director or the HR director, as you say. But every time we presented a marketing plan, it was picked apart. Bit by bit, torn apart in some some respects by everybody. It's almost as if everybody thought they had permission and carte blanche just to completely trot, tread all over everything we were trying to do.
1: And I think that this some I have some sympathy with their situation because everybody can reflect what it's like to be a, a consumer. I mean, your news about Maxus sponsors and so on. Everybody has access to a computer, but he's been subjected to advertising, not marketing. Let's be very careful here. So, but I think it's back to the leaders to set boundaries. Um, yeah, I'll talk actually part of my content spotlight about meetings and email circulations. And I was uh, mentoring somebody, and he was asking, "Should I send that to?" Essentially, it was about four or five people. I said, "No, just send that to just those two individuals. They are part mm-hmm. of the lines of communication." So I think mm-hmm. part of the return to work, which is a bit of a theme today. Um, just go back to the lines of communication, go back to you know, the, the authority and the sign-offs. And there ought to be, particularly for the marketing functions, elements where you could be more or less a free agent. You know, within the plan that's been signed off by, by the, the board or by, by the leaders, just get on, hit your, your milestones, report by exception, and things will be so much better.
0: Absolutely right. So the last one I wanted to talk about, Pascal, was Airbnb. Now, I I can't remember exactly which episode it was. It was probably getting on for about a year ago now. But in the news, we talked about Airbnb switching its marketing strategy away from trying to buy customers and and effectively just sell, sell, sell to more of a brand-building exercise based around education. Now, I've always been of the opinion that, especially through content marketing, marketing is a very educational role you're educating people about your products you're educating people about how your products and services can help solve their problems you're educating them about the price you're educating them about how to buy it etc and it seems to be paying off for airbnb strongest ever fourth quarter results
1: for me what is interesting even if you go on airbnb now and the way in which they present themselves and the way in which you know that you've got those drop down menus and the navigation and the search function, it feels a lot more like that education, that a really customer service uh, approach to it, as opposed to the kind of things you might see, let's say, on a flight-only website where they can't wait for you to share your credit card details. <laughs> and so, so not only are they claiming you know, that the marketing is not more educa- by education than buying customers, but actually the evidence suggests that that's the case.
0: Yeah, and I'm hearing good things about Airbnb at the moment. I mean, in fairness, I haven't been in an Airbnb for over two years for the (laughs) obvious reason of the pandemic. But I do hear people saying, you know, a lot of the um, properties are now you know, they have daily cleaning like you would expect to get in a hotel. They may go as far as to stock a minibar for you. They may go as far as to stock a fridge for you. They're really pushing the boundaries. Whereas, you know, you see all of these hotel chains constantly um, being launched and they're always a, a version of the Premier In style model or a version of the higher end Marriott model, but they're not doing anything different. And I think that the, the hotel's sort of ignored Airbnb in the earlier de- early days as a sort of irritant that will go away. And it didn't, and it's growing. And I think the hotels are still ignoring Airbnb. And all the time, Airbnb are chipping away at the hotel market.
1: That reminds me of a cousin to hospitality, which is tourism. As you know, I started my yeah, career yeah. in marketing tourism. And in the 90s, I went to a conference, and it was the early days of ebookers.com and lastminute.com. I remember the, one of the CEOs of the big, big two operators who are no longer with us, which I think is very telling, stood on stage and called those online platforms parasites that would not last. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <I> remember, <that's... laughs> uh, as a young marketer I was thinking, oh my God, you know this is so ca- wrong. I can't stay in this industry for much longer if that's going to be the case.
0: Yeah, no, it just goes to show, I mean, it's a good strategy. It seems to be working. And as we've already said, If you can make your marketing engaging and educational, then it's going to work and it's going to get you those customers without that annoying, you know, in-your-face selling. So, Pascal, lots of great stuff in the news today. I probably would have wanted to have talked about um, Peloton as well, but I think we need to move on now. So, shall we shine the content spotlights and move on to the next part of the show? Well, in this section of the show, Pascal and I highlight a piece of content that's caught our attention over the last week. It could be a video, could be a blog, could be a podcast. So, Pascal, what have you got in your spotlight this week?
1: Oh, this week, I'm going to surprise you, as well as our viewers and listeners. It's a book that I've chosen to go okay. through. The title is The Joy of Work, 30 Ways to Fix Your Work Culture and Fall in Love with Your Job Again by Bruce Daisley. So I'm going to begin by telling you a bit more about Bruce and the reason reason behind the book. And I'm going to tell you a bit more of a why situation, why I chose this book, and give you a bit of an overview. Now, Bruce Daisley has had the pleasure of have a career of taking him through the corridors, meeting rooms, and board boardrooms of the likes of YouTube, Google, and Twitter, and therefore has been really at the um, you know at the stage of observing digital adoption and transformation from the, the, the sources themselves, and he became just intrigued and fascinated over the years about what makes a. A team perform what makes an organization essentially a enjoyable place to work as opposed to sometime being the contrary? And as is often the case for people who are intrigued and launch a bit of an investigation, Evangelist had to record his findings on a podcast, which you may have heard of, called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. That then mm-hmm. became a um, kind of presentation, if I'm not mistaken, even a TED Talk. It became a book and now also becomes a newsletter with the title Make Work Better. Now I had the pleasure of listening to his presentation in 2018-19, I believe. And the reason why I was reminded of this book, The Joy of Work by Bruce Daisley, is because for the last few days, Roger, during my mentoring session, during those sessions where, uh, forgive me, I'm meant to be giving advice on the wonders of marketing, particularly digital marketing, I spent most of the time dealing with individuals who felt overwhelmed and Mm -hmm. actually ran the risk of just being too stressed out. And the um, common denomination was the return to work, the return to team meetings, and the return to almost, if you like, a very, very busy day with all the traveling and so on. And it just made me realize that people had been not kind enough to themselves well, that is essentially realizing they are rushing back into this um, you know almost this quest for back to normal but in doing so are just hitting a wall because it's just too demanding after the two years that um, we've gone through and I think also if you think back to Bruce Daisley and his work you know from him the, the, the position is very clear the new technology that he's observed and that he was obviously uh, instrumental in promoting through his work at YouTube Google and Twitter, the new tech is now getting in the way of happiness at work, is a source of stress, and he was, he was going to argue that just because we're now working longer hours, and I'll come back to that, there's no real discernible increase in productivity. So the casualties of this way of working, particularly the last two years, where by, by the fact that we could just go to our desk and laptops much more readily, some of the working weeks have gone from 40-odd to 70 hours a week, Roger. which is quite extraordinary. Now, when you're working remotely, it may be possible to cope. I wouldn't recommend it, but it may be possible to cope. But then if you try and do that, as well as returning to work, as well as traveling and trying to get into the meetings and so on, it's just not going to work. There's going to be some casualty in terms of the the people, but also creativity, uh, productivity, fulfillment, and enjoyment, according to Bruce Daisley, is going to be the first thing to go. So the book, The Joy, to, uh, Joy of Work, is something that I want people to read for themselves. It's very easy to follow as a reminder of the way in which, which you could be kind as a colleague, as a team leader, as the ultimate owner of the business because you want to really, really be careful about this return to work. And, and the book is lovely because there's a lot of personal stories as well as workplace psychology research. The book has got three main chapters, one called Recharge – one called Sync, spelled S-Y-N-C, and one called Buzz. Now, Recharge suggests that there are 12 ways in which you can enhance your, your performance and make him work less awful. That These are Bruce Desley's words. In Sync, it's about eight ways to fix, um, eight fixes, sorry, to make your team much closer. And the buzz are the 10 secrets is observed of energized teams. And for me, it's this idea of, the last two years have been quite extraordinary. We've not had to be concerned to the degree that perhaps we should have about the impact of the tech. Let's just be careful, let's just have a plan, let's take it slow and if the joy of work you know can help you, then do consider it. I will close on this, Roger. One of the introduction paragraph from Bruce is the sign day of this book should be shared and read by others. So here it is. If you're a viewer and listener of Two Gigs and Martin podcast, I have a copy here. And for the podcast listeners, I'm going to go through the pages for you. So you've heard it now and you can see the book. Get in touch and I will send a copy of The Joy of Work to you.
0: Fantastic. A giveaway. (laughs) A giveaway. Well done, Pascal. I mean, this is really, really interesting. I read another article Uh, this week on this very subject and it was saying that you know people going back to the cinema has almost gone back to normal from before the pandemic people going out for dinner it's almost back to normal people going on holiday is sort of getting back to normal now that the restrictions are being lifted but people going back to the office is still way down it's something like about 35 to 40 percent and that's because they don't want to get back into that stifling environment that they were in before. And, as you say, they don't want to add half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half's travel on congested trains or congested roads on either side of their expanded day. Mm. And, and again, I, I know a lot of people who work in big corporates who spend even more time in meetings now than they ever did because of the convenience of Zoom and Teams. But somebody needs to grab hold of some of these meeting cultures and think about the health and well-being of their um, employees and do something about it because as you say it can't last and we don't have to go back to the old normal and try and you know layer on some of the technology as we said it it is time to completely rethink how we do things
1: completely and you won't be surprised across you know that the three key elements of the book meetings and emails are the first thing that um being attacked, if you will, from the point of view of, come on, yeah, it was exciting when it all began, having emails, having mobile phones, and so on. But we must move on from that because, like I said, the the negative impact or negative effect, to use um, Bruce's term, is just too great now. And that's not what you want at all. Now, something tells me that your choice as well today is a bit of a surprise. Yes, I'm going to talk about Super Bowl 2022 commercials
0: now i will preface what i'm about to say here by saying that i'm not actually a football fan neither of uk style soccer football or american football i've never even been able to begin to understand how american football works and all the breaks and the and the way they line up and all of that so i'm not into the actual sport itself but from the marketing spectacle the Super Bowl has always fascinates me, has always fascinated me because they always have companies paying untold millions of dollars to get into those coveted ad breaks during the Super Bowl. And let's face it, Pascal, a hundred million people are watching this. So the the potential of getting to your customers by putting an ad in the Super Bowl is just massive. And, of course, there's also usually some sort of halftime concert as well where they usually get somebody very very famous. You know, in the past they've had U2 and, and, and bands like that. And it's just a massive, massive thing, isn't it, Super Bowl? And this article that I've come across is called The Best Super Bowl 2022 Commercials, and it's by, by Blair Marnell, and it's in the digi- on the Digital Trends website. And it's literally just his uh, compilation of about 15 of the best Super Bowl adverts. And he's actually put the links in to each of the ads, which you can then watch um, via their YouTube links. And the reason I chose this, is the, well, There are several reasons. The first reason is, you know all of the marketing experts and gurus are always saying that TV advertising is dead. Uh, traditional marketing is dead. Well, here is an example as to why it isn't, because companies around the world are spending millions of dollars on creating TV ads because this is still one of the hottest spots for getting your message across. And the second thing is the amazing creativity of some of these adverts. Um, I re- I, we, we would make the show twice as long if I went through every single one. But honestly, some of these are, are less like adverts and more like little films. A lot of them reminds me of the John Lewis-style adverts at Christmas. You know, some of them are two minutes long. They're filmed like the cinematography and and proper scripting and and pacing and all of that sort of thing and special effects. It's it's remarkable. And I think that, you know, we've got, we've got to forget about those people who say this style of marketing is dead. You know, content marketing is dead. Email marketing is dead. There's always an audience somewhere. You know, there's still an audience for putting leaflets through people's doors. I still get leaflets coming through my doors from people wanting to clear my gutters, now, that's not very exciting, but sometimes your gutters get clogged and you need somebody to come and help you get rid of the um, stuff that's clogging your gutters. And they put leaflets through your doors. And, you know, I look at them and think, oh, I've got clogged gutters. The point is, we always come back to this, Pascal. You've got to find out who your customer is and then attract and focus on that customer. And the Super Bowl works. And these adverts prove it. And the rest of the reason for this is just to luxuriate in some of these adverts. I really would encourage everybody watching and listening to the show today to follow the link which will be in the show notes and just watch maybe one or two of these ads and maybe come back to it several times over the course of a couple of weeks and just really watch the production values, listen for the message, watch for the message and and just just marvel at the creativity. Uh, The two that I am going to mention, the first one is Evil is Back for Good, and, of course, it's Austin Powers' greatest villains coming back in a General Motors advert. Um, It's got Dr. Evil in there, etc. It's it's just really funny. It's a recognisable character. We've all seen him in the films, and the script's funny, the special effects are funny uh, but the one that actually stood out for me is is the the mind reader that that's the title of this advert and it's got Scarlett johansson in it with her real life husband and it's an advert for alexa the amazon um you know smart speaker and it's it, it's so clever the way they've done this that Al- alexa starts to anticipate their needs turning lights on turning the fridge on turning the phone on It's and, and their reactions to it is priceless timing com- comedy gold and i can see why this advert went down an absolute storm That there's also I, mean, I, I said i was only going to talk about two but there's also one which builds upon you know the soprano legacy this is tony soprano um car advert for um all electric chevys um so please do have a look at some of these adverts it really does make you realize that tv advertising is far from dead and the last thing i'm going to say about the super bowl is a fabulous piece of newsjacking which i forget about every year but when the super bowl comes round i get reminded of it there's a group of people out there who like owls and they are you know uh, wanting to help um preserve owls in in the wild and and make sure that their habitats aren't affected and their hashtag they just change the capital letter of the super bowl hashtag so hashtag super bowl at the moment is capital s capital b they change the capital b they make that lowercase and it becomes a capital o and the hashtag man magically transforms from super bowl to
1: superb Owl, and I just think that is (laughs) utter genius. Fantastic, absolutely right. That's a good example of news jacking. Do you know what what is good about the? those events, There's something very grounding, you know, because we all need a bit of routine. For me, it's like looking forward to the Cannes Festival. It's like looking forward to the Facebook annual conference or the Google annual conference. And I think you're right from a learning point of view. I mean, for you and I to have training materials by, let's look at this um, advert and let's break down the storytelling, the, um, you know, how the wit and the characters. I mean, the one that I saw because it was circulated extensively by actually one of the performers was Arnold Schwarzenegger who played Zeus for one of the electric cars. And uh, and that was very funny as well. Um, but you're right, it's, it's, it's on for a good two and a half minutes.
0: They're all long. They're all like mini films. And they've been produced like mini films. And to me, that suggests that far from TV advertising being dead, you know, especially in this particular slot, it's worth spending the money on getting people like, Scarlett Johansson involved in an advert because
1: it pays to do it. Do you know? To me, just to close on that, it goes back to you know people making very flippant remarks, which is then why they're surprised when marketing is not respected. You know, you know it's like those messages: "Move over, Facebook. This is a new way to do social media." You know, that kind of really <laughs> stupid headlines, but it just essentially creates a whole feeling that marketing professionals are full of just you know one liners and kind of almost out of control emotions as opposed to calmly consider you know the approach the audience you are right the, the medium the channels and then come up with um, the plan and then have all that kind of capacity for being creative and ingenious yeah and of
0: course going back to where we started within the news maybe one of the reasons why all the other people in the organization question the marketing people where we don't get the ability to question them is exactly because of that sort of attitude. So Pascal, now it's time to start getting a bit techie. (laughs) Let's move on to the next section of the show, which is marketing tech and apps. In this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table technology technology, applications, platforms, something that can make our marketing life easier. So Pascal, what tech delights have you got for us this week?
1: So this week is all to do with your Google CV, an expression I've used for a few years now, helping my customers take charge of their online reputation and online image in terms of the Google search results. It's not about SEO, just uh, at this stage, Roger, it's more to do with what does it feel like if you are a prospective customer, sorry, to see for the first time the the page of results. The first one I want to mention is actually a return to Google's right to be forgotten. They recently released a video, which I'm sharing in the show notes. I think it's important. And I'm actually quite intrigued why Google would go back to the theme of right to be forgotten. It's been around for a very, very long time. And I do wonder, Roger if it's not linked with the... uh, Things were said in the news about data protection, the Mm, EU mm. policy being stricter and so on. But essentially, if you Google yourselves, whether that's your first name and surname or name of your organization, and you feel that the results or some of the results are inadequate, irrelevant, or no longer relevant, or excessive, maybe it's actually somebody else altogether, you can ask Google for the right to be forgotten and for that one result to be removed from, essentially, your Google CV. I think it's an important exercise to do. I recommend my, my customers check their Google CV twice a year. You never know. It could be, for example, that an article you wrote 10 years ago still does very well because that website that published it is performing very well. But you kind of go, do you know what? I've written so many other things since then. That's not quite right. Perhaps a product you don't um, kind of sell anymore. Maybe, indeed, you've pivoted using that term and your services are very, very different. It might be just the right thing to do to avoid confusion because you know it's like when it comes to running a business, Roger, if somebody is a bit confused, then they go from maybe to no, and we want for them to go from maybe to yes. So Google's right to be forgotten. The link in their kind of how-to video is in the show notes. Talking of first impressions and online reputation, I came across a wonderful online monitoring app. So it's literally looking at your names, again, being mentioned on blogs, on forums, on social media, on websites, and so on. And it's called Talk Walker Alerts. So it's like Google Alerts, but a bit sharper, a bit more easy to use, and a more elegant interface. And the idea being that at this stage is free of charge. It may change, obviously, as it becomes more and more popular, but it seems to be a very, very thorough way of this platform to go out on, on the interweb and seek out, obviously, reference to your name as an individual or that of your organization. So by matching the two, you can probably start with a talk uh, walker alerts, find, perhaps mention that are now outdated No longer relevant, and then use the Google's rights to be forgotten to get that listing on the search result to be removed so that the others are given more prominence.
0: So I can type in Roger Edwards into Talkwalker, and it'll basically show every place that I appear, and presumably anybody else who's called Roger Edwards. I'm not saying there's just me. It will just show me all of the links out there in the, on the web.
1: It would. And if you discover, for example, a great website with you know you're being referenced, but it's not showing on Google, a couple of things you can do. But to begin with, you can maybe ask for the older ones or the less relevant ones to be removed so that the one you spot, which is, would be better for your online reputation uh, to be featured more readily. Wow, that's interesting. That sounds like it could be a bit of a rabbit hole to go down. <laughs>
0: <Not very laughs> okay, true. this this week I'm going to talk about TikTok. Now I have to say I don't really use TikTok that much. I I, I sort of dip in and out of it. I haven't got a massive following on TikTok, and I. Post maybe one video every couple of months. So I'm definitely not a TikTok user, but I did challenge myself, Pascal, to make sure that on the show we do talk about things, even if they're not the sort of things that we use all the time personally ourselves, because out there, people listening to this show may be big TikTok fans, and, and I want to try and help them as much as I might want to help people who still love Facebook or still love Instagram. So These two apps I came across this week very quickly. The first one is called Trend Talk, and uh, it's actually really interesting. It discovers new trends or viral songs. And and as you know, Pascal, TikTok is very much about the music as well as it is about the videos that you put together. The videos often have a a, a popular um, pop song in the background, and you lip sync to it or you point your fingers to it, that sort of thing. And this app definitely finds the current trends and the hashtags and the viral songs that you might want to jump on to give your brand a bit of a kick. So Trend Talk definitely works. I have uh, messed around with it quite a bit. And secondly, there's another app called Tick Save. Now, we go on a lot about repurposing of content on Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. And repurposing content is a really good thing to do. And quite a few people I know will download the videos that they've posted to TikTok and then repurpose them for Instagram stories, for example, or they may just even post them on Facebook Messenger. The problem is once you've put something up on TikTok, they burn The TikTok logo into the video. So if you start your video on TikTok, you've got this logo. So if you then upload it to Instagram later or or Facebook Messenger, it will have the TikTok logo in and everybody will know that this was originally a TikTok and you've just repurposed it. So this little app magically goodness knows how, magically removes the TikTok logo from your video so that you can then upload it somewhere else and nobody will be any the wiser. Now, you could argue, well, actually, you should make the video first and then upload it to the separate sites separately. But if you've forgotten or anything like that and you want that logo out of the way, then TickSave is worth checking out.
1: Oh, that's excellent. And I think you're right. What I really like about TikTok is that it does invite people to be creative. Back to that theme again. Yeah. It does allow yeah. you to try things that other platform would not really would be as readily available in terms of the features and, and functions. But you're right. You know, once you've created that video message, you know, is it fair they should only be shared on, on TikTok? You may have an audience on other platforms. So yeah, I think both of them, uh, and, and you're right, as marketers, It's about also that watching brief, that kind of R&D department where you keep an eye out to what's happening. It may not be for you right now, but actually you might also get some kind of insight into your audience and audience behavior that could be serving you well on the other social networks.
0: Absolutely right. And as we always say, Pascal, These technical marvels, these apps and these platforms sometimes have their roots way back in the past. Some incredible inventor, some brilliant creative mind. So let's set the controls of the TARDIS. Let's fire up the flux capacitor and let's head back
1: in time to this week in history. And in 1702, the Daily Current becomes the very first UK daily newspaper. What's even more remarkable, everyone, is that the newspaper owes its existence to a very determined woman, Elizabeth Mullet, the newspaper's first proprietor and editor. In
0: 1985, Yul Brynner reprised his role in The King and I on stage. He originally starred in the 1956 film version, having originally been in the stage version before that.
1: In 1997, Netscape announces a third-generation browser to compete against Microsoft on Internet Explorer. The tension between the two companies continued until a federal judge ordered Microsoft to stop bundling its internet software with its Windows operating systems.
0: Also in 1997, the cult television series Buffy the Vampire Slayer premiered, created by Joss Whedon. The story centred on Buffy Summers, an alternative feminist icon who battles vampires, demons and other assorted supernatural forces of evil. Wow, that sounds like a really good series.
1: I have to watch that. <laughs> oh, I absolutely loved we we bought the uh, back. tell you how how old that is. We bought the VHS cassette box set I mean, it was enormous. Oh. There was so many different series. We even got into um, Angel, you know, the spin-off series and so on. It was just so good. It was witty, it was on occasion quite scary, but also if you had the pleasure of watching the all all the the series, the, the thread through from season 1 to season I think 12 was quite impressive from the storytelling point of view.
0: Yeah, now I seem to remember, I mean this may be a, this is an example of where the TV series actually became better. Than the original film that it was based upon, because I seem to remember there was a film called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, which might have had Donald Sutherland in it. I've not looked that up, but that's the memory. Correct. Uh, not the same. Not the same actress. It it wasn't um, Sarah Michelle Gellar in the in the film. But I don't remember thinking the film was very good. It was quite. It was quite a low budget, and it was quite camp. Whereas this series was really good. And had a really good budget, really good storytelling, and as you say, um, really did um, hit the spot. Now, let's go back a long time to 1702, the Daily Courant. Uh, you were quite excited about this one, Pascal. Why was
1: that? Oh, a number of things. But to begin with, by the time we publish this episode, it will be 24 hours after the International Women's Day uh, celebrated on the eighth of March, and I thought, is this coincidence? This is not carefully planned. What a joyous news item from history! I didn't know that a the first UK daily newspaper was called the Daily Koran. I didn't know it was actually ran by a woman. Now, what is interesting about Elizabeth Mallet, She was she must have been such a smart business uh, individual as well as interesting in in print. She, I kind of understood, you know, what the times were. And suddenly, when people bought the um, newspaper, the editor would have had a column, or suddenly there was a statement, and the editor was called E. Mallet. And as you can imagine, people, by and large, assume he was a man. Now, she was married to a printer. She was married to a gentleman that obviously probably started the newspaper, who sadly passed away. And she ran the, um, the newspaper for at least a few months before she sold it to somebody, perhaps because she discovered it wasn't for her or she had um, other interests. But I just think that in the context of what we're talking about, in the context of International Women's Day and communication, I just love the idea that the very first UK daily newspaper was run by a, a woman. And I just think it's a wonderful message all around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something I didn't know. It's uh, it's a great
0: story. And uh, let's talk very quickly about The King and I. Yul Brynner is uh, a very, very striking actor, um, completely bald throughout mm. the entirety of his life. I don't think I've ever seen a photograph of Yul Brynner with hair. Obviously, in films like um, Westworld, and Magnificent Seven, so very iconic actor, but probably his best known for playing the king of siam in the king and i both on stage originally in the 1956 film and then as the news the item said here he reprised that role when he was much older in 1985 and i think that that final run again ran for for several years an iconic image of this actor and it it brings back a childhood memory that i've got because i did like this film my grandparents liked this film so If it ever came on TV at Christmas, and don't forget, in those days, there was no VHS tapes or anything like that. You had to wait for it to come on TV. If it ever came on at Christmas, oh, the King and I, we booked a session almost with the grandparents and sat and watched it. My grandfather also had the soundtrack LP. And I remember, for whatever reason, one day somebody accidentally scratched the record almost beyond, so that it was unplayable, that the scratch was so deep, And my grandfather was really upset about this, and he had to order a replacement copy of the LP. And the record shops in those days, it took ages, it seemed like months to get a replacement of this LP. And when it came, it had the same cover, same picture of Yul Brynner on it, the same track listing. But I remember that one of the tracks, and the song was called Getting to Know You, was a lot shorter Than we'd remembered it on the original LP. And my grandfather was absolutely bamboozled by this. (laughs) The the song is so much shorter, what's going on. And of course, we didn't know until many, 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 many years later. For whatever reason, that memory got triggered in my mind, and I Googled it. And of course, what happened is that the original copy of the soundtrack that my grandfather had was a very early 33-speed lp which was actually pressed into very thick plastic later they the 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 production process for lps had had changed and, and and the plastic that the lps were pressed upon were a lot thinner and therefore they actually had a less long potential running time on each of the uh of the LPs. So quite a lot of very early albums that were released on the thicker stuff eventually had to be edited a bit to get them to fit when the production process changed. And this is one of the songs that they had to chop half of it off in order to get it to fit onto the album. Now I didn't find out the reason for that until probably 20, 25 years later when Google came about. And it just goes to show how lucky we are these days to have something like Google because we can find out those answers immediately. Whereas that particular mystery took me 25 years to solve.
1: And I was just thinking, as I was listening to your story, back in the days, you know, the, the complexity of producing the newspaper you know, for Elizabeth Mallet, for example, mm. the complexity of producing those records, there was a skill to it, there was an mm. understanding and the knowledge to it. I do wonder on occasion, perhaps because I'm very nostalgic about those things, whether the digit, you know, the kind of digital first type of, of industries mentality, we are losing out. I mean, I know that for a fact you and I often comment on filmmakers, where we are losing out, you know, that generation of people working with print as opposed to digital. Um, so, interesting.
0: Yeah. And… We just owe such a debt to those pioneers from the past. I mean, even as far back as 1702, look at the effect that first newspaper will have had on the media in the UK. So let's come straight back to the present, Pascal. Let's move on to our creator shout-outs. Well, Pascal, who are you going to talk about this week?
1: So it's about a book, again. I thought I I should try and do a bit of a parity here between Content Spotlight and Creators. I'm so delighted to let you know, all of you, that Hillary Dunn has now become the author of the book, Step Up, Stand Out, How To Be Seen As The Expert. Now Hilary Dunn is a consultant for speakers, public speakers, as well as an advisor to event organizers. And in this book, Step Up, Stand Out, she's literally sharing over 25 years of event industry experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as she puts it. And this is a book really for individuals who want to present in a way that is memorable. So it's not just for public speakers, Roger. It's also for, let's say, marketers who somehow have the difficulty to be heard in the office. It's for someone who's a team leader who wants to convey a message to not to their colleagues. So many different applications, but I think it's just wonderful that she's taken the time to capture all that experience of advising, but also running events into um, this book. I know she will not mind me saying as well, because she wrote it when she published the news uh, a few weeks ago, that this has been a personal challenge. I mean, you know all too well, Roger, how long it takes in terms of prep and sweat, blood and tears to create a book. And for, for her, the written form certainly was not an easy format to get through she did it she persevered and we're now so lucky to be able to access you know this wisdom really uh, in a form of a book so as Hilary Dunn the author of Step Up Stand Out.
0: Fantastic and Pascal this week um I'm going to shout out a gentleman called Chris Fox. Now Chris Fox I've worked with in, in and out of big corporate for, for a, a few times over the years. Um, We often have a catch up on, on Zoom from time to time. Chris Fox is really into strategy. Now, I talk about strategy a lot, and we both talk about strategy a lot here on Two Geeks in the Marketing Podcast, but most of the time, we're talking about marketing strategy. What Chris does is he talks about overall business strategy. And uh, yes, marketing strategy should come from the the strategy of the overall business. But sometimes, just like companies don't have marketing strategies, sometimes companies don't even have business strategies you know it is and it's not just starting with a mission and values and that sort of thing it's it's the whole it's the whole strategy the customer experience the the, the workings of the company and chris has this blog which is called strategic coffee the strategic coffee blog <laughs> and if if you want to dive a little bit deeper into strategy then really well worth checking this website out now let's face it strategy is one of those words that gets people diving for cover or running out of the room or just being dead scared of it. They they have this image of away days in in manor houses in the middle of nowhere with millions of post-it notes being stuck on walls and then rearranged and and people talking management speak mumbo jumbo and jargon and that sort of thing. But Chris makes it simple and he actually makes it interesting. And when you do look at this website and you see some of the articles he's written over the years, you realise how important not only marketing strategy is, which is what I talk about all the time, but the, the higher level business strategy is incredibly important as well.
1: Fantastic. Thanks very much for that, Roger.
0: Yep. Some great shout outs this week, Pascal. So here we are, finally, often my favorite part of the show. Shall we move on to film marketing? Oh, this week we're going to be talking about Uncharted. This is a film based upon a video game. Now, I have to admit, I've never heard of the video game. I've never played the video game, so I've never heard of the film. So before we talk about it, before Pascal educates me and and hopefully whips me up into a frenzy of excitement about this film, let's watch the trailer.
1: I've been dreaming about this my whole life. The giant's gold. It's the biggest treasure that's never been found. Five billion, easy. So when do we start? Yeah, put that in your ear. Hello? Hello? I can hear you, I'm sitting right next to you. Your brother believed that there was a final piece. Wait, you know my brother Sam? What else aren't you telling me? You have no idea who you partnered with. Sully, hurry! This is gonna take a little longer than I thought, kid! I assume we're 50-50, right? 50-50 50, 50. You get 10%. That's me being generous. Wow. Let's find some parachutes. What? Unless you know a better way to jump out of a plane. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Oh, crap. Come on.
0: 500 years ago, my family found the fortune. And was betrayed. So much blood. <laughs> You're doing great.
1: This ain't over. Ah!
0: Hey, you still with me?
1: Barely? What's with the cat? She's just for you. What? Life seems super sad. I'm not going to keep this thing exclusively in movie theaters well roger welcome to the world of nathan drake and victor sullivan treasure hunting fighting guns shooting jumping over roofs looking for treasures reading maps and solving riddles this has been my life for the last 10 years playing the video games uncharted and i have to tell you as a big big fan of the game i am both excited and nervous in equal measures but i'm curious you just said a moment ago because you're not a PlayStation player. This has been an exclusive creation for PlayStation um, kind of network. How does it feel? Are you excited? Are you okay? You're just wondering what on earth all this uh, fuss is all about. Well,
0: uh, as I say, I, I'm not a PlayStation player, so I've never heard of the game. The trailer certainly looks exciting. Certainly looks exciting. I mean, watching it, I can see elements of indiana jones in there i can see elements of tomb raider in there there's one scene in the trailer very briefly where they're hanging out of the back of a um, hercules style plane on a load of cargo netting which reminded me of a scene in a james bond film i think it was um, the living daylights with the first timothy dalton film back in whenever that might have been 19 um, 89 uh, uh, 89 or something like that um earlier than that but uh, it certainly looks exciting it, it looks like a good old-fashioned adventure
1: film. And back to the scene you, you picked up, which actually was singled out uh, as part of the marketing campaign. It really is literally like, frame by frame, a copy of what you do in the film. So you play the character Nathan Drake, who is a descendant of Sir Francis Drake. And actually, your story, your your life is around finding, actually, Sir Francis Drake and, and his treasure um, as a way in which, A, to become rich, but also to settle in life. You know, and... What is the, the game has three key elements. The, number one is this idea of adventure and going to different countries, a la James Bond, Actually, now every chapter you take into different continents and so on. You've got to solve riddles. You have to look at maps and understand what you're looking at. You've got fighting. I mean, literally from empty hand combat to you know gunfighting. But you also have the voice acting and the humor. The wit, the one-liners, the tongue-in-cheek, where, for example, you're being chased by literally a tank, and you're controlling your character, and you can hear the voice going, Oh, oh i nearly there, I'm nearly there. Oops, oh, no, no, please don't do this. And then, you know, essentially the, the tank shoots at you, then an explosion, and your character just literally is being projected off a cliff. And you have to try and grab, you know, a tree on the way down using the different controls and so on. It feels like it's a movie that is being played in real time and you have some element of control and it's just so enjoyable. And as you can tell from my description, but also the fans around the world, we just love the character Nathan Drake invented by a lady called Amy Henning, who's been a game designer for a very long time. But I'll kind of... Um, wish for the film to do well started actually a long time ago sony and playstation by extension have been talking about making a film version nearly from 10 years ago and then already there was a campaign of sort from the fam but also from the actor nathan fillion to play the role of nathan drake and one of the things that was really quite uncanny is i put the, the pictures for you on the show notes the fake a kind of character, you know Nathan Drake looks a lot like Nathan Fillion and vice versa. And actually they did make a fan film at the time as much as a pitch to the filmmaker saying come on, don't you know please put Nathan Fillion essentially as part of the um, as part of the franchise the movie version adaptation. And of course 10 years is a long time and instead we have Tom Holland. And for the fans that's tricky. We even have Mark Wahlberg as Sully, Victor Solomon, who doesn't look and sound anything like the the character. And it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, is it important, do you think, for the characters, as in the, the human beings, to sound and look like the video game characters? Or can we just get past that?
0: I don't really know. I mean, let's face it, when they made films of Tomb Raider, I think they definitely tried to cast actresses who looked like Lara Croft, didn't they? Um, again, it, 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 from what I can see of the trailer, the person they have cast, as you said, doesn't look anything like the video game character. And, and I don't know, is this because... I'm thinking of a couple of weeks back when we reviewed Pixels and you and I absolutely loved that film because we are child, children of the 80s. We grew up with um, original video games like Pac-Man and Defender and Space Invaders and we were there for the target market. So we were absolutely in rapture about this film whereas it actually didn't do very well in terms of reviews from everybody else. So are they making this film for players of the game or are they making this film because it's just a damn good story and they want it to have widespread spread appeal? I think that if they'd have just been making it for the gaming people, that they would have cast somebody who did look like the character. But because they obviously, and, and I have no knowledge of this, they obviously want this to have mainstream. They want it to become a blockbuster, presumably then they they haven't been concerned about casting somebody who looks like the character in the video game. They just cast somebody who they think will play the role really well.
1: I think that's a wonderful segue to look at the marketing campaign. Just to quickly add on (laughs) that, um, one thing, this is meant to be taking place a few years before the games themselves. So we're looking at a younger Nathan Drake, potentially, uh, because, of course, they want to do more than one. There's already a deal signed with Netflix and Disney plus to you know to have the movie streamed on on those platforms so the the movie was unlucky as well uncharted because they produced it and filmed during the pandemic 2020 and the release has been delayed so many times like many movies we've had the pleasure of reviewing on film marketing so take us through the the campaign itself and then we can dip dive in some of the details
0: well. It starts off looking as if it was it is very much like a traditional film marketing campaign. So 21st of October 2021 was the release of the first official trailer, followed on the same day by the uh, website and the social media campaign. I guess that was more of a sort of relaunch, wasn't it? Because some of that already existed. On the 23rd of December, a few days before um, for Christmas, second trailer released And then into January, they start treating us to actual scenes from the full scenes from the film. So a two-minute, 30-second action scene with the enticing description. I'm going to read this, Pascal. In the race to find the world's greatest treasure, you have to watch your step. Find out what happens next in Uncharted movie, exclusively in movie theatre, so they're giving us a scene which ends on a cliffhanger, and you think oh my goodness, I'm going to have to go and see the end the, the film to find out what actually happens, and then further into January, we're starting to see featurettes about the incredible stunts in the film again, I, I mentioned the um, them hanging out on cargo nets on the back of the Hercules style plane or this one's got jets rather than propellers and and I think that's very important isn't it, the, the, the stunts in this film are just absolutely amazing sort of in Mission impossible level of stunts going forward and and then we get to the launch uh, in Barcelona, in Spain, not sure why it was launched in Barcelona. Oh, you might I can tell you why, because
1: <laughs> it's part of the, uh, the the experience of, you know, take, uh, Uncharted takes you to different countries and different destinations. Yeah. But you're right, it was a weird one, because it started in Barcelona and ended up in the US. Maybe that was the plan all along.
0: Yep, so that was launched in Barcelona on the 7th of Feb, and it was released in the UK on the 11th of February, 16th of February in France, 18th of February in the US. So much press and radio coverage um but pascal they spent (laughs) 20 million pounds on this marketing campaign so i guess that coverage was to be expected but it certainly does seem to have whipped up a lot of media and attention across the entire world for again a game which is has been
1: focused on a, a certain niche of players and what what is interesting is it feels like a short campaign to me i mean there, there was murmurs there were teasers and so on across 2020 2021 but it's almost like a three-month campaign only which always mm. kind of it feels very daring to me i wanted to kind of highlight and so did you you know some learning points maybe and for me back to your comments about well who is it for and how mm. are they going to tackle this i think they made the decision Perhaps it was made for them of clear channels of communication to target very clear audience. So Sony Pictures had a campaign, I would say, for mainstream audiences, for so those who don't mm-hmm. know about the, the Uncharted, so families, couples, and groups of friends. PlayStation, of course, had the, their campaign for the game is for me. So if I go on my PlayStation network, there's been adverts by the movie forever, and you can click, click on the different icons to play, obviously, trailers and so on. They also had, it's not as extreme as the Gems Bond franchise, but certainly had some product placement and partners. So you had Hyundai and G Fuel Food Supplements with their own TV adverts where literally, I was was going to say they borrowed Tom Tom Holland. I'm sure he was paid for it, but they they had their own adverts with a flair and a feel of um, Uncharted. Cinema Chains, actually, that's interesting. Now, the return to cinema, they organized their own competitions for the local um, kind of people to win free tickets, but also they had their own exclusive interviews. And you could just imagine being sat there, maybe watching a different film altogether, and there's an interview with uh, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg with with a brand of your local cinema chain. That would have been quite impressive. And then finally, number five, well... It is twenty twenty two after all. So Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg promoting the film via, the, via their social media accounts. Just as a footnote, I did the research, and Tom Holland has nearly seventy million followers on social media. So that's kind of helpful, isn't it? Yeah, he's a popular guy, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, let,
0: let's face it: they have to keep the film. Sorry, they have to keep the game fans happy as much as they need to try and push the audience wider and to appeal to families and and, and other people, as you've said. So what have they done to keep the um, fans on board? So Nolan North, who you've told me provides the, the voice of Nathan Drake. Yes. for Don't, don't. Video game characters all, always have incredible names. Lara Croft, Nathan Drake. There's always some sort of <laughs> cadence to to video characters. Um, he's been sharing all sorts of fo- photographs online. He's been involved in chats. So, the, you know, it's a different voice, obviously, in the film, Tom Holland. But you're, they're keeping the fans happy by... Keeping making sure that the original um, actors in the game are represented. Uh, Tom Holland was one of the presenters at the 2020 Game Awards in December 2020. The Uncharted exclusive clip was introduced by Holland at Sony's CES press conference on the 5th of January 2022. February 2022, they released Creator to Creator video series. Again, Tom Holland and the creators of Uncharted sit down to discuss the process what that went into adapting the video into film and again lots of use of video snippets featurettes photography all over facebook instagram twitter youtube etc etc so do you think they've done enough to
1: keep people like yourself excited and on board with this Yes, I think it was so so important to show almost a form of respect. I'm going to be as, as blunt and direct as this, uh, Roger, because let's be frank, uh, Tom Horn would not be my choice. I I want Nathan Fillion from you know ten years ago, uh, as in I started to get excited about it. Uh, it's not the same physical, it's not the same build, it's not the same voice, and so on. Okay, I can buy that is uh, a younger Nathan Drake. The only tension for me, as as a gamer, is that the scenes you see on the trailer they borrow from Game Three and Four, so mm. yeah, it's it's tricky as a, as a fan to to not see minor flaws or have minor misgivings. But then when you hear, and I think that's important, the power of video when you see and hear Tom Holland sh- show the respect to actually speak to the video game creators and together how they worked as a partnership to to make it work. Because back to um, you mentioning earlier, they shared that exclusive two and a half minute video clip of what's happening on on the aircraft. Everything is in that two and a half minutes. It captures the the style and the tone of the video game. So as a gamer thinking, oh wow, you know they've they've achieved it. You know the the fighting looks like the game. The everything like the running around and actually running away from danger and mm. you know doing it in a way that is very comedic is also been been captured so yeah i think it was a very smart move i think if that was absent from the marketing campaign they'd been probably in quite a bit of trouble here
0: mm. and i was quite attracted to the the uh, instagram account instagram okay. account is remarkable in that they've they've, they've used the instagram content categories effectively to create all sorts of subsections to the Instagram account. So the Instagram account now has, it's almost like a mini website in a way. Now, I knew you could do this with Instagram accounts, but they've really taken it quite a long way. So you've got sections about tickets, music partners, talent, uh, the lenses that you can use to overlay yourself with the plane in the background yeah. flying through the air you, you can share that on social media but they've also got links to the press the posters the, the the treasure maps the trailers all of that stuff is available through the the um instagram account i don't think i've ever seen an instagram account become as uh segmented as that and as and as focused so that's quite impressive
1: yeah thanks for bringing it up because we're part of film marketing is about learning points as much as you and I essentially telling people how much we love films. And I think between the the, the audience segmentation from a moment ago, the being aware of where there might be some misgivings and tackling it head on. And now you've got this kind of, well, it's available on Instagram, let's go all in. So the way in which Mm -hmm. they've used the icons, the way they've they've organized it, I I must confess for for you and I, you know, kind of becoming film marketing historians, that would be just so helpful to go back to in a year's time and recapture that. But um, I've not had actually the chance to try the Uncharted Instagram lens, but I'm definitely doing that this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that we missed, of course, is always a shame about in you know, a kind of US-centric campaign, of course there was a treasure hunt. This is about, a movie about the treasure hunt. So you had um, daily video messages from um, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg with hints and clues taking you to different website and Instagram. And then you had to go onto a main website to type in the results of your kind of research and, and kind of um, riddles. And then you could win, obviously, some some prizes. Um, I think it was quite clever clever because the um, well, what you had to find was a secret phase, which is uh, fortune favours the ball, which is actually one of the many sentences that they use in the game as well. And
0: they've actually even done a series of travel vlogs, haven't they, with Tom Holland in it? Uh, again, it, it's to keep the momentum going, I guess. And because you've already said the the the, the game, and therefore the film takes place in many locations around the world, um, this is just an obvious thing to do, isn't it? To keep the uh, to keep that travel theme with the star, and that will
1: keep the interest of the uh, of the potential um, viewers. I think that you would appreciate that you being a, as well the travel vlogger. My complaint, they're far too short. They're about a minute each. But Uh. um, from a learning point of view, if you just watch them thinking, yeah, I could do that in business, you know, summarizing maybe an event or even a month. So... um this one was spotted by Chris Thilk from Cinematic Slant, so thanks very much, Chris, for that. And you see Tom Holland doing his kind of PR run in publicity runs in London, Spain, and Rome, as you, as you mentioned. But the way it's edited, it's really fast. It feels again like a mini adventure. So you've got Nathan Drake, we've got the, his alter ego, Oddly, um, Tom Holland having his own adventure, going to different parts where he doesn't speak the language necessarily. He's a bit, he's a bit lost, and he's having to find his way to the next, the next venue. So uh, that's really, really clever. And, and just finally, as part of the extended campaign, uh, I was very surprised because, why was I surprised? I'm not sure, but they've essentially done a novelization of the movie. So now you have, an as an experience, Roger, you can play the games, you can watch the film, and then now you can read the book as well. And what is interesting about the front cover of that book, it was actually the, the very first teaser image that was released in late, 2021, I reckon, and it is so damn close to the front cover of one of the many video games you can get with the the real individuals. So I think, again, um, a bit of homage stroke stroke respect. So I'll start by asking you the question. Having discussed it with Mina and reviewed the extensive Bryce short marketing campaign, are you looking forward to perhaps watching Uncharted at some stage?
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. This is one which we'll, we'll definitely look out for. I mean, it, it, I love that sort of genre, you know, mm. the uh, Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, that style of thing. Um, Trisha and I watched a series. Uh, I can't remember whether it was on Netflix or whether it was on Sky. It was called Hooten and the Lady, which was a, a couple of adventurers traveling around different locations around the world looking for treasure. So there's elements of that in that series. I don't know whether there was any link between the two, whether it was just a coincidence. So even from the subject matter point of view, I'll be looking out for it. I love the fact that this film will appeal to gamers who will have their own image in their mind as to, you know, they've seen the character in the game, the way they speak. Then there'll be the people who watch the film who've got no mem- no knowledge of the film, who will see a different set of actors and voices, but that will be their experience. And even the book that you've just mentioned there... You know, you might read the book having played the game. You might read the book having played, uh, having watched the film. But when you read a book, your mind also creates its own images of what you're experiencing, what's being described in words. So you're almost creating three completely different potential visuals in the head, on the screen, in the game, as well as that. And I actually think that's fascinating. So well done, Pascal. I think you've got me very, very interested here.
1: And for myself, having discussed it with you and researched the marketing campaign, I feel a lot, lot better. And I'm looking forward to watching Uncharted. Um, the reason uh, I'm, I'm going to be happy is because in fairness to Tom Holland and by by extension, of course, the production team, he moves like Nathan Drake. I mean, the stunt, the running, the parkour almost the uh, empty hand combat and, and the gunfighting is exactly like the game, you know, and the sense of peril and jeopardy is there. The humour is there between him and Solly. Um, and I think we just need to embrace the fact that, a they actually managed to do this during the pandemic, which in itself is quite an achievement. And I suppose for them as well, they should be pleased because we are starting the year with an exciting adventure movie which almost sets the, the tone for all the other future cinema releases for, for this year as well.
0: Fantastic, Pascal. Thank you
1: so much for
0: suggesting this one. Um, the fact that I knew nothing about it made it a really interesting film marketing session. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and watching or listening to Two Geeks in the Marketing Podcast, episode 69. As always, do let us know what you think of what we've been talking about. Leave us comments on the YouTube channel or even look us up on Twitter. We'd be delighted to hear from you. So. Until next time, please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.